0: You're listening to Reach, Teach, Talk with Nat Ding. We're back with another episode of Reach, Teach, Talk. And the theme of today's episode is communication and the power of words. And I'm thrilled today because we have a, an expert on the topic of communication in organizations ranging from Fortune 500 companies to schools, uh, Mr. Drew Kugler. From the Kugler Company, is 35 years now. Uh, worked as a consultant and a leadership coach, and is just an incredible get. I feel for this episode because he has worked in two different um, mediums uh, he, to talk about communication and to to grow teams and to focus on the relationships between uh, people who work together in teams, and in both the private sector and also in the more public nonprofit. Uh, sector and again with schools to great success. So welcome Drew to our episode of Reach Teach Talk. Um, thrilled to have you and mm. you and just why don't why don't we start actually with you sharing with us uh, about your background and what brought you to what
1: you do today? Sure, sure. Well, like you said, it's been going on thirty six years now, um, and it just. Uh, frankly, with the state of the world and communication as you stated at the top, um, it gets more and more both fascinating as an observer because that's really what I do. Um, I just observe on an ongoing basis all day long. I watch and listen to people. Uh, And as you also mentioned, I've been able to uh, be engaged and retained by all kinds of interesting places over all that time. Uh, from the classroom to the boardroom, there's a pithy little way to pull it, uh, pull it all together, uh, and because of technology, uh, that's such an easy example of the difference that it's made. Um, and happy to go into what I've seen, the goods, the bads, and the worse uh, because of that. But it really started. Uh, my my mom, bless her soul, uh, w- would always tell me that she. That I was a bit of a show off. Um, I would stand on third base in, in, in you know, my, my recreational you know, sports team. There'd be a base hit all the way to the fence. Uh, but I would insist on sliding into home uh, just to get the attention. Yes. So what happened is I managed to turn that into some comfort in front of uh, different kinds of audiences very early on. I was in drama and speech and all that sort of stuff. That culminated, though, interestingly, fast forward the story, uh, it culminated in an uh, uh, opportunity to, t- to teach uh, and teach as a graduate assistant uh, at San Diego State University when the state of California made it a, a regulation that every single student had to take a public speaking class. So there was this absolute overwhelming demand for people who would teach the public speaking class. So in 1984... Uh, I entered into the classroom, um, always having that comfort, but then very slowly and over now up to this very moment, learning the distinction between being comfortable in front of an audience, but uh, the difference between that and truly engaging and connecting in a real way with that audience. Because I used to think all I got to do is be the speech guy and I would, you know, find my way. And then one day, and this really led to this business, one day uh, a a friend, a mentor, said to me, Drew, just never forget, never forget that it's not about you. It really is about them, the audience. And that alone, we can go into that as a really fundamental thing that everybody needs to remember. Not just teachers. Not just teachers. Parents, friends, everything that if you're there and you really have, in essence, the ambition for yourself, you're going to have a problem. You might not even think so, but ultimately, it's not going to work as well as if you can find that bridge between you and your audience, whether it's a kid, whether it's your child, whether and we can go all the way up, right? All the way up to your fellow senior vice president of finance who is struggling to establish her ability to connect to people. So my job has always been, uh, in the last 21 years, uh, just like this, you have the whole company sitting here by design, where I go to these places, find out the, if you will, the skinny on what people are like to work with, and then I tell them. (laughs) Um, And they have been good enough to, for the most part, listen. And be intrigued because that's a view you know the old saying i don't know who discovered water but it wasn't the fish so i'm the guy sitting on the 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 you know the little you know beach and i get to look in and see people and then reflect it back to them to this day
0: yes so i'm thinking about the, the message and the messenger part too because i'm thinking that these companies will hire you or these schools will hire you to just as you said Take you know, assess the broad view, meet with the constituents, figure out where communication is working fluidly and where it's not, mm-hmm. and they'll listen to you um, primarily uh, as somebody who's coming in because you're objective. You're, you don't yes. work day to day with the you know among the staff with the business manager. Uh, example you said earlier, and uh, and it, it does it does um, bring up a question to mind as you were talking about just what. I was thinking about teachers and I was thinking about how there's no personality type uh, that makes a great teacher right like you you can have an introverted teacher, you can have a bookish teacher you can have you can also have the dramatic you know teacher sliding into third base you know uh, symbolically in the classroom mm-hmm. um, and yet they can all be successful because of how they're able to communicate and the effectiveness. so I'd love to go a little deeper into what your thoughts are about you know if if you're a new teacher to your classroom it's the beginning of the school year and you know so you may have taught for one year you may have taught for 10 or 15 or 20 but how can a, a teacher kind of immediately look at their classroom as an audience mm-hmm. where they can effectively on that first day of school mm-hmm. kind of build that bridge we right. talk a lot in this in this podcast about um connect connection building connection mm-hmm. and it's about relationships how can we use our words? How can we communicate verbally, non-verbally um,
1: as the adult in the room from day one? Yep. What advice would you yep. give? It, you know what, it, I started out in this business coming out of the uh, classroom of the public speaking uh, domain uh, and, and became a speech teacher, uh, speech coach for a very long time for, for people. And that's important to, your, to the answer to your question because you know, it, it is and remains the number one fear uh, that most people face. So I had without going into the whole thing, I had to come up with a way to in a healthy way distract the the speaker who was preparing to get ready to give their speech because immediately most people feel a pit in their stomach or their hands sweat or whatever it was. So years of going through this, I was trying to come up with these, you know, moves to distract, right? Get in the heart of it is get the speaker, in this case, the teacher, get the speaker to uh, uh, divert their thoughts away from, frankly, something that won't change, and that is the physiological reaction to being nervous, right? That's just going to change because you use the word nervous, it sets something off in your body. So we had to come up with a better way. Hang with the story. It's really important and probably my first suggestion uh, for today. And that came a few years later, I was watching uh, one of those uh, keynotes, uh, you know, demonstrations that Apple does to uh, demonstrate their new products. And before the keynote uh, uh, guy, you know, uh, Tim Cook came out, they were running these quotes along on the screen, you know, to warm people up. And here was the quote that has absolutely riveted my work. And the quote is... Here at Apple, as we decide to create a product, okay, before we do anything, we meet and we decide what is it that when the product is in the, the consumer's hand, what is it that we want them to feel? What is the emotion? Is it joy, is it inspiration, is it anything? Then they said we craft backwards from that expectation and that goal. So it's the intangible first, it's the feeling first. Well, well, let me let me even yes. Feeling's important because feelings are what move people, not facts. Don't forget that. You think you got all your facts and your PowerPoint all lined up with your agenda and your lesson oh, plan. Yes. All those I's dotted, T's crossed. Perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. But yep. if you are not finding an emotional connection, to use your word, you're going to come up short. But let me stay with the teacher. So my specific advice based on that uh, that interaction that I saw from that slide and thought about it was what? how is the teacher, the new teacher, first day in class, right? What are they doing before they show up? How are they, quote unquote, preparing? Are they answering the question? Do they even think, by the end of the school year, here's how I want my students to feel. Oh, do wow. they even ask themselves that question oh, wow. and then do they begin in that crafting backwards that Apple tells us is so important? See the
0: difference yes and, 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 and to interject for a second because sure. you're, this is a this is a phenomenal um, and very relevant example you're giving is, is I'm making the association with curriculum design. Mm-hmm. So um, there's this whole method of curriculum design, which which follows the exact pattern that you're talking about, which is, you know, by the time you give the assessment, you start with the assessment. You start with what you want to make sure, what skills that, that you know, you want to make sure the students have um, by the end of this unit. Right. right? And you work backwards by design. Back, that's a, backwards, that's design right? Right? backwards design. Backwards exactly. design. Right. Exactly. So it's backwards design thinking with curriculum. That's cognitive. Right. But what you're talking yeah. about is the emotional, and I've never thought about it that yeah. before. Yeah. You're, you're, you're using the same idea of working backwards by design, but based on emotion. How do you want your students to feel right. at
1: the end of the semester, at the end of the school year? And therefore, I, I, I want to build on that. You're right, because I backwards design is a great way to think about content. No yeah. doubt. It's the same embracing. And oh, by the way, total kudos go to the, the master of self-help, and that's Dr. Stephen Covey, who talked about begin with the end in mind, okay? Same yes. whole notion. However, you caught the distinction that is so important here, and that is you can have all your content. You can have the room perfectly decorated and you know all that sort of stuff, but if you have not charted a journey for your, in this case, students, fill in the blank, anyone, for your students, for your audience, for your team, for whatever it is, to follow this path, mm-hmm. then you're going to you're let's say you do it yay right you follow the advice you're going to be better and you're going to appeal to that central part of humans that so many people are afraid we'll come back to that word Mm. afraid to to dance with Mm -hmm. and that is the emotion that is connected with change because you're taking your students through this process of change through the year right yes but they're just like human beings they're afraid too. Yes. They're afraid of the unknown. That's yes. why we don't like when mom turned out the lights in our bedroom. It's the same thing that people go through in trying to connect to other people. Wow,
0: and in, 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 in working through some change cycle, um, you need trust. You need to have that mm-hmm. sense of stability with the person who's mm-hmm. um, in charge. I mean, in this case, in a classroom, it's the teacher, it's the adult in the room. Yep. And in order to build that on day one, Again, you're thinking about how you want the, end, the last day of school, how you want the feeling, how do you want your legacy to be, um, right. which I don't want that to be misconstrued because you were saying at the very beginning of this talk that it's not about – it's about taking you how, out of it.
1: How you want the student to feel, not about how you feel. That's <laughs> the problem. See, if I, in that sure. case, can get the teacher or the senior vice president to get out – here comes the cliche phrase – to get out of their head and into the heads of the people around them, guess what? Guess what they don't feel? There's no nervousness because they're not using the word. They have, they have relocated, by the way, in the only thing that's really changeable, and that is the minds and the emotions of your audience. So, so tough lesson, and once you accept that, quite frankly, that's a, that's a journey to climb. It's, they all say, oh, that might be too hard. Mm-hmm. Whenever I hear that word, I, I do play Mr. Hanks's line from uh, A League of Our Own. Where he says, "Hard is what makes it great." And I love. I'll always you st- stick to that. Can you say that one more time? Because yep. your voice is so, yeah, is yeah, so yeah,
0: much yeah, like yeah, Tom. Yeah, I feel yeah, like I'm talking yeah. to Tom Hanks. He has an argument. He's think I've got Tom Hanks on the episode. He has
1: an argument. Go to YouTube and pull up the scene in *The League of Her Own*, yep. where Gina Davis quits because the team is just not performing, and she's frustrated, and she comes up with some frankly BS reason to quit the team. And he confronts her, and he says, "Really, what's going on here?" And she says, oh, it's just all too hard. And he says, hard? He says, hard is what makes it great. Now, so think about any difficult point in your life, let alone in the classroom. If you were to chart all the hard moments of your life, not only were they made different by the conversations you had around them mm-hmm. or chose not to, mm-hmm. but more than that, those were the things that made the biggest difference mm-hmm. because they challenged you to Sacrifice. They challenged you to, in some cases, suffer. Yes, absolutely. Right, yeah. and that's where growth comes from. Absolutely. So I only really connect because this sounds good. It sounds really good in my ears, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, it 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 only really connects when you're challenged, when it's difficult. Like that kid who won't just do what you know what you wish they would do. But then don't forget, it's about the kid, and figure that out, and go to really? the emotions.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, and, 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 you, you. know, you, you maybe think about how learning, you know, I, I say, in, for example, in, in my book, Time to Teach, Time to Reach, I really yeah. stress the point that learning is cognitive and emotional and social. Mm-hmm. And it's not a passive activity. You, you can't, you don't learn just through a, a, one, a one direction, like, you know, here's the information and my, my mind is open to just receiving the information yep. and suddenly I've learned it. You learn best and you retain longest. Through challenge, through acknowledging, and, and that could be part of what a new, what a teacher communicates somehow in the first day, of, right. first week of school, first month of school, is this is not going to be easy every right. day. We're going to hit we're, moments. Yeah, right? we're going right. to moments. We're going to challenges. And how are we
1: going to treat each exactly. other? Exactly. In exactly. you
0: know, exactly. what language? So. It, that gets me to think about assessments, and sure. it gets me to think about critique, and it gets me to think about reviews, all right, to use in a, in a more of a corporate mm-hmm. lens. Mm-hmm. And you have an awesome, awesome term um, that you use, and it's up on your website, uh, Construct- com called constructive candor. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about critique because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's also interesting because so many people think, oh, teaching is, you know – Mr. Chiff's in the classroom or De- Robin Williams and Dead Poets. It's the whole, you know, the conductor and the symphony and everything, but it's going mm-hmm. well. It's great. But there's so much more to the job than delivery of information. It's it's because the best teachers are the ones also who are fascinated with the learning process. And only in, in, in the only way that we're able to understand whether a student is learning is through assessment, through evaluation, through, you know, checklist, ladder uh, method. Yet that's such a challenge to do effectively how do we use our words to best deliver information that these students need to hear because you know if we're talking about authenticity and transparency as being really important in the classroom and in any work environment then we've also got to find ways to deliver information that's not always going to be positive and um how so what do you right. mean by constructive candor what is that term mean to you um,
1: how did it come about and how can teachers and school leaders use it use it yes yeah wow um, this may take a minute um, <laughs> take your time yeah thank you thank you the, the term uh, uh, grew out of inter- an interesting I thought Uh, transition I was going through in my work back in the early 2000s. So remember, I started as this speech coach. And remember that the key was everybody freaked out about their speeches, so they hired me because it's so hard because I get nervous. Well, at the heart of that, when you really dig into that, long story short, they're afraid. As we said, we'll come back to that word. What was interesting is I came upon, by just paying attention to my clients, I came upon a parallel set of fears parallel set of fears about how to show up to a, in this case, a conversation. Mm -hmm. Here's what I found. So I go to this law firm and the law firm was, uh, the senior committee was, it's a big multi-billion dollar law firm. Hundreds and hundreds of attorneys with staff and the whole thing worldwide. And they confessed to me with the door closed, now many years ago, that their biggest problem was one of what they called deferred maintenance. What "What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they said, well, we have a whole bunch of people that we have all this feedback for that about their performance, about their person, not personalities, but about their citizenship, they called it. They are acting in ways that people don't want to work for them. Mm -hmm. Right. It was really some negative, negative stuff. And I said, well, what did they say when you told them about this behavior? And they said, that's the problem. We haven't told them. That's the deferred Deferred maintenance. We've put it off. We've put it off. We've put it off. Why? Because we're scared of what they'll do when we tell them. Right. I said, well, what are you accomplishing by not telling them? And I didn't even know exactly at that point instinctually or certainly in any sort of framework how how to go about getting ready to tell somebody the the important – I call it – I don't call it bad news. I call it important news. Oh, that's that's it's a good lesson, right? Important that they know that. Mm-hmm. Important for the firm, mm-hmm. important for the teams they're on and the matters that they are involved in. It's important for their relationships. I can go on and on. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem, don't forget the power of words, is we call it difficult. Look at the look at the book. Uh, Dr. Stone out of Harvard, Difficult Conversations. Susan Sargent, I believe is her name, book called Fierce Conversations crucial conversations you hear this stuff it really ramps it up so i had to come up with some way to at least push back on these folks because my obligation was to be the helpful objective outside person right so i wasn't there to perpetuate their deferred maintenance i had to help them break it so what i explained to them number one was to come to grips with the costs of what president kennedy said the costs of inaction Right. You think you're going to risk these things by having these important, hard conversations. But what are you accomplishing or what cost are you paying by not having them to call it deferred maintenance was a cute phrase? Certainly gets our attention. But guess what? It was people believing at the end of the day that they were okay, Mm -hmm. that they could continue to behave like this, be paid seven figures Mm -hmm. And continue to be you may want to cut this word assholes mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. that was what you've seen the book the no asshole rule it's mm-hmm, a it's mm-hmm. a common accepted phrase that came out by the way of the law firms and the and the entertainment studios i've often said that i've made most of my living over these years and i'll get back to constructive candor being invited to places that you would never think would want to change and this law firm in the early 2000s was that place. And they said, okay, what do we do? So that forced me back to the drawing board to come back with a way, because lawyers like it clear and clean and on a piece of paper, to come back with a way for them to organize their thoughts in a way that had the highest likelihood that it would be at least paid attention to. Mm So don't here's the second big statement. I, I I obviously the Apple one was big. I also like this one. When it comes to communicating something that needs to be communicated, are you doing it in a way that not only where you say it, but that can also be listened to. So Understand, not only clear, yeah. not only clear in your mind. But
0: substantive. Not only
1: clear in your mind. Harmonic? But but no, no, but Doing it in a way that factors in who has to hear it so do you keep,
0: and how they need to hear it. Ah, so, do, so do you curate it so that the listener, it, 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 it's received by the
1: received listener? Received and not immediately resisted. So. Received and not, um, or more than that, the very fact that you get it out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Because I can't give you the exact percentage. But most of the problems of connection in organizations, in my opinion, are is the unsaid. The unsaid, the things we know we should say, but we don't because here it comes, because we're afraid. Yes. Now we say, stay with me, we're afraid, this is the always interesting part, that we're afraid of what? How the people are gonna react. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't wanna, it's the classic, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Totally. Okay? Totally. I actually find the more that I remember I get to talk to these people, yeah. they're not really that concerned about the other person's feelings. What they're concerned about is being around the person and how uncomfortable that is for them, meaning the Mm -hmm. sender of the message. They just don't like the tension. That's what they're afraid of being around. They don't really, they might care a little bit about the individual, but I had to come up with a way which eventually was published in the American Lawyer in June 2004. My picture in there, I look different today, anyway. The point of the story, though, is that for once, I put it down on paper, and it forced me to flesh out three basic steps, right? I can go into the whole thing. It's on my website. I'm coming out with an online course about it uh, on Um But it basically is how you prepare, mm-hmm. how you engage, and how you sustain, how you stick with it after you're done with the first conversation. So I can go into all the reasons where people really, really mess up at each of those, but that's a much longer conversation. But I introduced that to the law firm, and then that got into the system and is now the wheelhouse of where I work.
0: Can you, can you repeat those three steps? Sure, sets? sure very simple. Prepare? And it
1: goes back. Remember my friend, the Apple quote? Yep. All about preparation. has nothing to do with what you do when you open your mouth. How you prepare before you show up to the conversation, the important conversation. Even choosing the word important is part of preparation, mm-hmm. okay? So you've got, uh, you've got how you prepare, and then once you're in the conversation, do you act in an engaged way, i.e., are you present or are you looking at your phone? Are you having good eye contact? We go through the fundamentals of true engagement because that's rare in important conversations because, anyway, lots of reasons why people screw that up. However, the natural inclination of most people who get to the point of having had the important conversation, they think they're done. Mm -hmm. It's this huge sigh of relief. Well, guess what? The most important conversations in your life cannot take place one time. Mm They have to take place over time, Mm -hmm. and they have to take place with building. We talk about building trust. Mm -hmm. They're not going to believe you the first time. Mm -hmm. They're not going to trust you at all. Mm -hmm. They have no reason, given the history of the school or of the institution, to trust you, Mm -hmm. especially if you're the boss, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what you do by sustaining, by showing up. Let me repeat that. By showing up again in a generous and trusting way, you will build momentum. Which is what you need to build trust. Can't be done once.
0: Drew, this is this is great. Because and, and as you are talking, I'm thinking about two different school-based, um, mm. uh, you know, perspectives here. One is student teacher, right? And show up. See, you know, see the student. I see you every day. Mm-hmm. You know, walk mm-hmm. by, walk by the students who, who you're concerned about or whatever. Just, you know, knock on their desk. You know, wake up. Like this is. Right. You know, I see you. Put your hand on the shoulder. You know, walk around. Greet them by name, all that. Like that's that's I am right. I am here, and 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 that's one thing. But the um the third part, the the post um, sustain the sustain part, also as the teacher is, I'm not going to I'm just, I'm just going to give you back this essay or give you back this test or give you this feedback once and just assume you're going to you know learn from it. It's I'm going to remember exactly your performance and I'm going to continue to talk with you about it. Even in casual ways, like a ten-second mm-hmm. sidebar conversation in the hallway, I might see you, you know, outside on the, on the sports field. This is, um, hey, just you know, let, let's just remember, I see you, and and this is That's something right. that we're going to continue to work That's on. Right. It's, we're going to reflect on it. So there's the teacher-student, but then there's also the second lens that I was list, that I was listening to you with lens through my ears, um, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, the the teacher um, administrator oh, my. communication. Yes. And yes. I would love for you to to share a bit if you, if if you could about Schools as organizations, because you know Rob Evans, who's a phenomenal consultant um on the East Coast, uh, kind of a doppelganger for you actually, but um on the East Coast. Has worked with many many schools, and he's an educational consultant. And he has this example of overhearing two middle managers, um, well one you know, who's overseeing another manager on the plane, and he is giving him his quarterly review on the plane, on the plane, on the plane, totally nice. in public. Nice. And Rob Evans is just sitting behind them, and he's listening to this dialogue between you know reviewer, overseer, administrator, and uh, manager and worker, right. And uh, and he's being clear and the and the, oh, yeah. and, and the and the funny thing is like the worker's pushing back. He's like, I don't do that. And the manager is like, Yes, you do. And I've seen it. And this is this, this. And you need to work on this. And but they were having it out, and it was quarterly. And, he, and and Rob could tell this was not the first time they've had this review. So to your point about sustain mm-hmm. and, and, and building first and then sustainment is is was also seen in this example that he gives about. And and then of course he asks the question why. Gosh, how amazing would it be if we could have schools mm-hmm. have this kind of mm-hmm. open, transparent, candor mm-hmm. um, between, so, so that we can really learn, right? Because schools, uh, I'll be curious about your thoughts because you yep. worked with so many. Sure, how, sco- how schools are different ecosystems than, yeah. Um, yeah, than corporations. Yeah. So what do you have to be sensitive to? What do you think? Why is it that mm-hmm. at schools, so often you're called in to help communication mm-hmm. in in schools. Mm-hmm. It, where 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 is the specific resistance coming from in an educational environment versus in a private well, environment? You so can
1: take you, you can uh, link back all resistance. There's a wonderful book if I can recommend please. on top of all the other great books that you talk about here, uh, a book called "The War of Art" mm-hmm. uh, right by here. by Stephen Pressfield, and he does this great job of personifying in the writing personifying resistance. But at the heart of resistance is the fear that we choose to make real, Mm -hmm. right? Fear, somebody once said is, what is it? Fantasy experienced appearing real. Say it again. Fantasy experienced appearing real. That's great. Meaning you think that the fear is real. And what happens is, and this happens in schools all the time, I had a conversation with a, a head of school the other day about having an important conversation which the head of school keeping it gender non-specific the head of school said um you know i i i I just don't quite know how to tell her this um but that was by the way that head of school knew how to tell how to tell her but if she could say that she didn't sorry she she could say that she didn't then she could get out of it and avoid the vulnerability especially as a head of school and be able to, in essence, lead the organization. In my opinion, these conversations are, if not the essential part of leadership of a school, it's right up there within the the top hits of what you need to be able to do to, here it comes again, to be able to say what needs to be said in a way that it can be listened to. It's a two-sided dynamic. And that, all due respect, that is the difference. You said we need to have this candor. In actuality, we don't need more candor. We need more constructive candor. And let me explain why that, what is that constructive? Is the adjective, right? Let me tell you why the adjective is so important. Because the adjective implies, hopefully, we get enough conversations going about it. The adjective implies a patience and a commitment to building something. Construction, right? Right. To just be candid, or as the law firms always tell me, well, we're really blunt here. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really help. Mm -mm. If you do it in an unfeeling way, then who is it about? It's about how you feel. Oh, I was blunt. I was, I love this one. I was honest. Yes. But you know what? That does not move it to the point of what makes constructive candor and what has to happen back at that school and what has to happen in all these places. What is missing is a generated mutual commitment to making something better. Now, how do you generate the mutual commitment? How do you build? You engage, there's the word again, you engage the individual, or it could be a whole school, right, you engage them in a dialogue. If you just come with candor or bluntness, the dialogue never happens because they're You delivered your message. Uh, Dr. Stone, the guy I referred to earlier with the book, Difficult Conversations, seminal, seminal learning for me about this. He says at the beginning of the book, look, the reason that we screw up most difficult conversations is because we enter into the room, prepare, we enter into the room with the wrong purpose. We now enter into the rooms when we're really fired up and we've got something important to say right? Inside ourselves to get it out. We enter into the room, Dr. Stone so beautifully put it. He says we enter into the room to deliver a message. That's our job. So once the delivery is done, I believe we're relieved, right? We did our job. Mm-hmm. What if he said, we enter into rooms and to important conversations to hear the other person's story. So you tell me that, how does that change your behavior? The difference between needing to deliver versus engage. Well, it completely takes the ego out from me. Number like I, one, so, so how does your
0: behavior change? My, and my behavior is much more open and much more relaxed because I'm going to be coming from a
1: listening stance there's and, and, the
0: key. and an empathetic stance.
1: And, and And in there, to be empathetic and to be a good listener, there's one key behavior which moves it from candor to constructive candor, is that you become the inquirer the asker of questions. Help me understand. Yeah, help me understand. So what's going on here? Have you heard this kind of feedback before? You know, your your colleague back east, him eavesdropping on that session, that there was a lot of back and forth. They were wonderful way you put it. They were having it out. That was not constructive candor because of what you said that the receiver said. I don't do that, right? There's no conversation there. He's in total defense mechanism. The art and essence and grace of constructive candor is that the person who's receiving the feedback enters in prepared as well to listen, to comprehend why the feedback may be true and what could they do about
0: it. So looking at schools as growth industries, which, which, which absolutely has, has um, dawned on me as we've talked in this conversation, has been about, well, schools are growth industries. They are... The, the I think a healthy school, mm-hmm. and I've worked in many, and some healthy and some less healthy. The healthy schools have had in common that they have, in a sense, this this, um, this mission among the faculty and the staff and all the constituencies who are the adults working in the school that we are a growth industry. We are growing ourselves. We're not right. perfectly polished people. Right. Um, the students who are watching us are watching imperfect people doing their best. That's right. If and I, and I'm thinking about this as you're as you're sharing the kind of the magic special sauce of how to make difficult conversations easier and and more effective, let's say more effective, is that we're looking at if we can have this mindset in, in our schools that we can be trusted as, as people who are doing our best, but every once in a while we're going to need feedback. We're going to need to get sculpted. We're going to have to have recalibration. And if we are not threatened by the recalibrator, mm-hmm. um, if our contract is not on the line – if our job security is not in, in, in threat, um, mm-hmm. then we can receive it, receive that information better. And, I, and I'm thinking about how th- this is why we need to, to have more moments in the school year where we can give this kind of feedback. Right. And even peer to peer. You know, c- curious about, you know, colleague to colleague. Sure. Um, not necessarily administrative feedback, but even just observational
1: feedback. Well, well, well let, me, let me interject, make sure I, I get this point in because it's so important. It's not, you are not going to inculcate constructive candor onto your campus and into your administration and with your board or whatever it may be in snippets. It has to be a commitment of, of building your culture around it. It has to seep in and, and, and be practiced because what you said was, we really need to do this. Need is not the question. There is never an argument. No one will ever say, of the hundreds of places I've gone to talk about this, no one ever says, that's a bad idea. They all nod their heads, just like giving a better speech, right? Because they know what good can come. Here's the challenge, is that they, they, they hide in the, inside the safe confines of saying they need it. If you ever hear someone say, I need to lose weight, I need to drink less, I need to do... They're not going to do it. That is an acknowledgement of a fact, basically a a personal fact. You have to move beyond and create an environment which is the job of the leader. Be clear about this. Anyone in a classroom leadership role, like the person who's going in, that first-time teacher who's thinking in advance, or the head of school, your sole job... Is not to change anyone. Your job isn't to motivate anyone. You have one job as a leader. Create the environment where people can become what they want to become. Growth. Create the environment. Now, here's the important point about growth. You and I both know where that comes from. Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, talked about a growth mindset. Here's the fundamental of it. Because if schools call themselves a growth place, let's test it. Test for enough examples through the culture, administration, front desk, security, how much curiosity, there's the key word, questions, right? Mm-hmm. How much curiosity do they have? They are open if they're curious. Dr. Dweck's very clear about this. You're either open or you're closed, right? And that is a, is a key, key uh, uh, indicator, of how open they really are, because curiosity is hard. Why? Because then you have to not pretend that you already A, are right, and B, you already know all the answers, which is the opposite of every bad teacher I ever had who was there to prove to us how smart they were, right? So, so you see how it all wraps together, and the, and the fundamental of constructive candor is, back to the, giving the speech, is it's not about you, It's about their story because guess what? Last point on this. They're the ones who have to change, not you, right? right? Now, I think you have to change. That's another discussion. But you're there to help them change. So make it about them. Come with questions prepared. That is always what doesn't happen.
0: And in a way of of beginning to wrap up our conversation, sure. Sure. it brings me back to the beginning of our conversation because you were and I was thinking about the idea of perfection, and you, you mm-hmm. just were speaking about that how you can come all armed and I've got all the information and I'm I'm perfect I'm going to be ready to present mm-hmm. this to 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 the mm-hmm. person who needs to hear it, and but really perfection is is pernicious. Perfection is not yeah. what it's about, and you know I think about teachers that I've that I've coached and that I've worked with, um, and mentored in, in the past who. Um, the newer teachers to teaching, who it just as you're they fit exactly the the That's image right. you're describing. They're perfect. I mean, their classroom is is, is flawless and clean. The boards are so mm-hmm. well decorated, and the students' desks are perfect, and the table and the you know everything. Oh yeah, and they're and, and you can be sure the teacher knows her material. Yeah, but those teachers don't always succeed. And they and usually they're the ones that are, that are having troubles connecting with their students because they are so concerned with appearing how appearing perfect, that delivering their delivering message, their message right of perfection. A to B, A to B. That is not. Um, they're not getting the B to A. They're not getting the the because the students instead of leaning in and being curious, That's right. they are leaning back and being like, okay, well, I'm just getting information from this teacher. It's certainly not relational teaching. Certainly not. So. Um, just in the in, in, in last bit of, of, of the time that we have left right mm-hmm. now, um, is there any, do you either want to sum up your points mm-hmm. from this conversation or
1: is there another point that yeah. you, you really want to bring up yeah. before we wrap it up? I'll tell a very quick story, a um, very quick story that, that, that you know, symbolizes it all. Constructive candor, when I was home writing the article in 2003, uh, I couldn't figure out how to open up the article. And my then six-year-old, Alexandra, Walked by my desk and said to me, this is in the article, said to me, Dad, you got to help me out. And I said, why? And, she, and he, she said, look. And she pointed at her wrist and there was a Band-Aid on her wrist, a of the Explorer Band-Aid. Yeah. And she said to me, um, Dad, you, you got to help me pull it off. And I said, sure, I'll do that. And then she held up her finger and she says, but pull it fast. Yeah. Because if you pull it slow, it's going to pull all my hairs out too slow. So what does that story have to do and why would I pick that as my conclusion? How good are you, the listener, anybody, at pulling the Band-Aid in the right way? Number one, it's going to hurt. Number two, constructive candor comes from sticking around. Sticking around and helping once the message has been delivered, once the Band-Aid has been pulled. And can you, in essence, are you there to help the person process what's happened, help them see their piece of it, and most importantly, genuinely listen. That's, what, that's where everybody falls down. So I hope today has helped illustrate in some ways. And most of all, thank you for, for letting me talk about this. This is what I am uh, committed to for the rest of at least my professional, if not personal, life. So. Thank sure. You. Thank you so Thank
0: much. You I know. mean, this is this. And, and, you know, I think that for me, um, after I do these uh, record these episodes, I always take time to reflect on them. And I jot down parts that I want to make sure stay in the episode Great. and not edit it out. And um, I mean, I have a hard time figuring out what should yeah. be edited out of this conversation. Thank but you. also that action, it is and that action, though, is um, what what you're leaving us with, which is it's it's yes, you deliver the message. But you stick, stick with the recipient of that message because your words matter, and and that person's going to go home that night to you know, mm-hmm. and, and that person might wake up at two in the morning still thinking about that conversation how it went, and as a deliverer, you need to remember that, and then the next day, make make a point to say say hi, like make a point to just be seen yourself because. You're not disappearing. You're not just, here's a hot potato. I'm giving you right. this feedback and I'm, see ya. You see know, ya. We're done.
1: Pulling the band aid and letting you deal with the pain. Brilliant. Not a good thing. Brilliant. Thank you. And, that's, and, and I
0: appreciate that the wisdom of your eight year old daughter at the time. Uh, six. Is, even scarier. Six. Even was scarier. Six. <laughs> <laughs> is, 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 is what we're leaving with. That's right. So thank you to your All daughter, Alexandra. Alexandra. Drew Absolutely. Kugler, wonderful conversation. Thank you, thank you very, very much thank for you. taking the time to be here today. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.